a question as we begin today. When should we as parents begin to train up our children? The Lord tells us in Proverbs chapter 22 that we are to train up a child in the way they should go and when they're old they'll not depart from them. And then further on in the New Testament he tells us in Ephesians 6 you fathers and fathers have a special responsibilities and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So then the question again when should we as parents first begin to train up our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord? And another question, we who have adult children, when did we start to train up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Did we do it right? How can we know if we did it right? I mentioned a moment ago, the evidence that a person is saved is in their behavior. As we look at our adult children and their behaviors, did we do it right? I confess to you that I don't believe that I did it very well at all. I wanted to, but I don't believe that I did it well at all. The Lord tells us that when we begin to consider this matter of training up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that that training should, must, must begin long even before that child is born, before our children are born. It needs to begin within our own hearts. First, training up our own hearts and our minds. And it's only then that we even begin to know how to train up our children. For myself, for the past good number of years now, I have a group of Bible verses that I quote to myself almost daily, reminding myself of my responsibilities to God and my responsibilities to those that I love, my wife, my children, especially. And that group of Bible verses begins with words from Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 5. Let me read those words to you. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. These words that I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them while you're in your house, as you lie down, as you rise up, as you walk along the way. You shall have them bound on the palms of your hands, everything that you do. And you shall bind them upon your forehead, everything that you think. And you shall write them on your doorposts and on your gateposts, so that not only your family, but everyone in the neighborhood would know they believe in God. But especially these verses are important for those that are up close to us. Our wives, our husbands, our children, they get to see the real you, the real me. These are precious words of reminder that the Lord gave us in these words here in Deuteronomy. After Jesus grew to be a man, and he was ministering, some local leaders came to him one day and they said, what is the most important command 
that God has given to us. And he answered them with these very words that I just read. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first and the greatest commandment. Folks, the commandments of God are timeless and they're always trustworthy to bring us wisdom, whether it be in the days of Moses or in the days of Jesus or in our day. And as we'll read here in a moment in today's scripture, we find that Mary and Joseph were faithful to obey the commands of God to train up their child, the Lord Jesus, even from the very first moments of his life, from the very first moments of his life. Listen to these words. They're in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21, if you care to read along with me. Verse 21, Luke chapter 2. And when the eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. As we read these words, we see that Mary and Joseph were faithful to obey the commands of God. They knew these commands. They were faithful to know these commands, and now they were doing them. It was important both for their lives and for the life of this special little child now, the Lord Jesus. Recall those words that I mentioned a moment ago from Proverbs chapter 22. Train up a child in the way that he'll go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Those are such simple and direct words. They clearly define the responsibilities that we as fathers and mothers have towards our children. It is our responsibility to learn and to know and to understand the way of God that he intends for us and especially that he intends for our children to be trained up and then to get about that responsibility of training them even from the very earliest moments of their birth. And folks, listen, no excuse is given to parents if they are at the same time all caught up in work responsibilities or career building or excessive hobbies. God's command remains clear and plain. We are as parents to train up a child in the way he should go or she should go. And when he or she is old, they'll not depart from it. I once heard a Bible teacher explain that this verse could be understood from two perspectives. One of the ways of understanding it is in the usual way, that is, if we as parents will train our children in the way that God intends, then when they're old, they'll not depart from it. The other perspective that this Bible teacher spoke about was that this verse could read if parents were to allow their children to train themselves up in the way they want to go, then when they are older, they'll not depart from those ways either. Now, I do believe that the first way of understanding that verse is the intended meaning. But the second, unfortunately, tragically, is also true because it takes place. And we need to take warning from it because if you and I as parents 
neglect to train up our children in the way they should go, and we let them train themselves up, then surely when they're old, they'll follow those ways. They will have done what other scriptures describe as they will have become a law unto themselves. Over the years, I've heard many parents say words like, well, as far as religion goes, we've decided to wait until our child has grown up and then we're going to let him or her choose which religion they want to follow. Folks, that kind of family philosophy and responsibility is in complete opposition to these instructions that are given here by the Lord. As parents, we are ourselves to learn God's ways and then we're to teach those ways to our children. Simply put, it is God's desire that you and I be very intentional in the manner that we as parents train up our children. He wants us to train them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. No exception, no variation, no waiting for them to train themselves up. It's our duty. And it's our responsibility to ourselves to learn the precious truths that are in these scriptures and then to teach them diligently to our children. Recall those words in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're to teach them diligently to our children. And we're to begin that training from the very earliest moments that our child has life. And then hopefully... As that training takes place, our children will grow up and they'll pass it along to their children, to the next generation. And from all their efforts, then godly families will be born and they'll flourish throughout the earth. That's what God intended from the beginning. And it's clear as we read these words of Scripture about the first days of our Lord Jesus, His parents, His parents, Mary and Joseph, they were very faithful to do exactly what they were supposed to do. To begin from those very first moments of life, to honor God in the training up of their child. Mary and Joseph's diligence stands as a testimony to you and me, showing us God's plan for our families. Now you note here also an obvious inference in these words from the responses that we find by Mary and Joseph. It's evident that their earthly parents had been diligent in training them. That's how they knew to take the Lord Jesus to the temple. These scriptures tell us that both Mary and Joseph themselves, they had clean and pure hearts. They were devoted to the Lord. And a testimony to their godliness is evident here in their responses where they honored the Lord. Folks, it was a requirement in those days of the law of God that every male child was to be circumcised on the eighth day of their life. And as parents of a newborn son, they were to bring him to the priest for this sacrament of circumcision. And it would do two things. It would do two things. It would openly declare the devotion of those parents to the teachings of the Lord. And the circumcision would also stand as a lifelong sign to that male child that he was forever a child of God. And he could not waver from his commitment to God than to his ways. Now, our sacrament of baptism today is very similar to the rite of circumcision. And while infant baptism is often objected to by some believers, infant baptism is simply the same essence and meaning as circumcision. It's parents bringing their babies to the house of the Lord and dedicating them there forever to the Lord. Part of that ritual 
of infant baptism. Ask the parents, do you covenant to bring your child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? And then the minister speaks to the rest of the church and says, do you covenant also to help raise up this child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord? Now we all know that circumcision cannot in any way save a child and neither can baptism. Neither of those ceremonies is intended to be a means of salvation. Salvation will always remain an intimate and personal transaction between each person and the Lord Jesus. Circumcision and baptism are simply signs and statements, first from the parents as they bring their child to dedicate him or her to God, and then to the child that they would know now and forever that they are dedicated to the Lord. As for the Lord Jesus, it might be asked, but why would the very one, the Lord Jesus, who wrote the law, remember, he is eternal in his nature. Why would Jesus, the very one who wrote the law, be bound by it himself to have to be circumcised? And the answer is in Galatians chapter 4, where it tells us, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Born under the law. Later on, as Jesus grew up and entered into his own ministry, he would then go to John the Baptist to be baptized by him. And John the Baptist would protest and say, but you should be baptizing me. But Jesus said to him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. It was a right thing to do. Now, yes, Jesus would later fulfill all of the requirements of the law and would redeem all of us who would accept his salvation. But because he was born under the law, for that moment in time, Jesus would need to follow the requirements of the law to fulfill all righteousness. Other questions have been raised about the necessity for the baptism of Jesus. In particular, people ask, but why if John baptized for the remission of sin and Jesus had no sin, why then was his baptism necessary? I read where one commentator said this. Listen. He said, Jesus' baptism was an act of humility. He consented to be counted as if he were a sinner along with everyone else. This act foreshadowed the time on the cross when he would die for the sins of the people of Israel and indeed for the sins of all those who are his. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it, For our sake he made himself to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And the commentator goes on to say, Fulfilling all righteousness includes not only Jesus being righteously obedient to his Father's will, but providing by his perfect righteousness a righteousness for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I confess, I don't know all the reasons why Jesus insisted on being baptized by John, but I do accept the words of this commentator. They're sufficient for me. Jesus wrote the law, and he gave the law to Moses. The law was good then, in the days of Moses. It was still good in these days of Jesus. And it is still good now because you and I are also required to fulfill God's law. Fortunately, our fulfillment of the law is now very different from the manner that it was fulfilled in Jesus' day by the Jews. 
Today, you and I need only to surrender our hearts to Christ, to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love other people as God loves them. And if we do that, then we will have fulfilled all of the requirements of the law. Now, as for Mary and Joseph, we see here in these words of Scripture that they fully understood their own need to know and to follow the provisions of the law and all of the training up of their new baby. And in this ceremony that they brought the Lord Jesus to, they were very careful to do exactly that. On the eighth day, they brought him to the temple to be circumcised. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for such obedient parents of our Lord. Now, note also here in these words that Mary and Joseph were faithful to give their son the name that God had chosen for him, the name Jesus. The name of Jesus had been told to Mary by the angel Gabriel when he had first come to Mary. He told Mary, he said, you shall call his name Jesus, or he shall save his people from their sins. And Jesus would do that. He had dedicated his entire life to doing exactly that. He said in Mark chapter 10, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus would freely give himself on the cross to save his people from their sins, fulfilling that name that God had given to him of Jesus. But folks in those days, and I think of Mary and Joseph as parents, when they brought Jesus there to be circumcised and to be dedicated, they really didn't know very much about all that would take place in Jesus' life later on. They wouldn't know until later the suffering that each of them would endure, especially during his time there on the cross. In those first days, Mary and Joseph had only this dim glimmer of understanding based on what the angel had told them someday that their child would bring eternal salvation to everyone who would believe on him, but that he would suffer in doing it, that he would suffer in doing it. Now here also, in verse 22, we see again Mary's devotion to the Lord and her obedience to the law in being careful to wait until her time of cleansing was complete before she and Joseph came to the temple to further dedicate Jesus. You and I don't understand this too well because this was part of the law the Jewish law let me read these words now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves and two pigeons The provisions of the law demanded that no unclean person or unclean thing be brought into the presence of the Lord. It was not as if anyone could defile the Lord. It was simply that God is holy and he desires that each of us esteem him as holy in every way, in every minute of our day, with every behavior that we have towards him. And folks, in this free and easy form of worship that we enjoy in today's religious culture, we're not so guarded about our behavior toward the Lord. We freely do as the song tells us, we come to Jesus just as I am. Now those are excellent words to follow, but I do fear that sometimes we might take that truth beyond the intended context. It's true that you and I, when we come to Jesus, we do have to come just as we are, 
because there's not one thing that we can do to remove even one stain or one blemish or one sin from our soul. Only the blood of Christ can do that. But it's also true, listen, it's also true that we should not go to the other extreme and present ourselves and our loved ones to the Lord in a corrupt and disrespectful way. I want to say that again because I see too many church services being conducted where I don't know that those folks are being respectful. So, yes, we are to come to Jesus just as we are, but we're to present ourselves and our loved ones always in a respectful way and not in a corrupt and disrespectful way. We're to hold our God in the highest of esteem and regard Him as holy, never dishonoring Him with careless conduct or ungodly behavior. Here Mary waited the prescribed number of days for her purification to be complete before she came to the temple with the Lord Jesus. Those words that are here, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Bringing Jesus to the temple to present him to the Lord was meant to intentionally set him apart for the purposes of God. That is the meaning of the word holy, folks. That's the meaning of the word holy, to be set apart for the purposes of God. And that's what they wanted to do. Now, surely Jesus was already completely holy, set apart for the purposes of God. He came into this life that way. But Mary and Joseph, this, this is our duty as parents, our responsibility. Mary and Joseph needed to fulfill their part of that responsibility. You and I must take every step necessary to carry out the purposes of God that he's called us to fulfill. That we are to train up our child, set him or her apart for the holiness of God. And then when he or she is old, they'll not depart from that. They'll not depart from that. Mary and Joseph did that. And so should you and I. As we well know, this job of parenting our children is far more demanding than most anything else in life. In this divorce-ridden culture that's prevailing in our society today, the training up of our children very often gets lost, gets set aside or even forgotten in favor of just surviving through the day. But that must not be allowed to take place, folks. That must not be allowed to take place. You and I must love our children dearly, and we need to train them up in godly ways so that when they're older, they'll not depart from those ways. And further, listen, for every ounce of love and training that you do with your children, you're making an investment in the next generation and the next generation. By our training up our children, they'll train up their children. That's the way of godliness. Let me close with these words from Deuteronomy chapter 6 that I began with today. And I want to remind us fathers that there is no age restriction on our responsibility within these commands. Whether our children be 4 or 40 or 80, as long as we have breath, as long as we have breath, we should always be giving these precious truths to our beloved children. Listen as we close. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And these words that I give you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children as you sit in your house, as you lie down, as you rise up, as you walk along your way. 
and you shall bind them as a sign upon your upon your forehead and upon your hands and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates let's pray